Amen. Now you can clap. Come on over here, you guys. This is Camden, and he is... Oh, yeah, well, that's a lot of good-looking people, huh? And there's your other grandma and grandpa that are nicer than me. Yeah. And your great-grandma and great-grandpa. I know. And there's grandma, too. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. I'm, they're all here. It's such a surprise. And this is my son, Garrett, and his wife, Jillian. Are you done? Okay. Are you going to wave to him? All right. Let's go ahead and pray, you guys. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for Camden. Lord, we thank you for this little life and how full of life he is, Lord, and what a sweet little guy he is. We lift up Garrett and Jillian, Lord, and pray that you would help them raise him um, to uh, love you, Lord, to study your word, to, to be blessed by the things that bless you, Lord. And as he's so full of life, Lord, we just, we ask that you would bless him, Lord, and we dedicate him to you, Lord, this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know. Say hi, everybody. Yeah, hi. You'll see them later at the party. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. You'll see them later. There's Uncle Hayden. Let's go. You can all leave now. (laughs) It goes downhill from here. What a little cutie. Well, hey, it's always a blessing to be able to get together as we study the word together, see what God has as we worship him. I did want to mention there are a few people who who called in and complained that me wearing a hat while I was teaching God's word was really disrespectful to God and I shouldn't have done it. So... For those of you wackos, you think this is really better? (laughs) But I'm fine. I'm working with much less of a brain today, I think, so it's a perfect excuse. I'm like, whatever I say that's, that's stupid or offensive, it's like I had a chunk of my head cut out, okay, so. But I'm fine, it's good. They got all the cancer, and, and now they say I'll live another week. So, um, no, it's good. Hey, you know, we're in a series called Verses for Life, where we're taking those scriptures that, like, are verses that we've all heard, that we hear about, we memorize so often, and yet we never really think too deeply about what they mean. And it's so important for God's word to really sink in and make a difference for us in the long term rather than to just have a familiarity with them and then just move on to other things. So we're focusing on some key scriptures and the one that we're going to look at today is in Psalm 139 
And it's verses 23 and 24, the last two verses of the chapter. And you're probably familiar with it, or you might be. It's where David prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties or anxious thoughts. And see if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's a lot there. It's interesting, the context of it is that he's already said in the beginning of the chapter, he starts out saying, search me, O God. You know, well, he starts out by saying, you have searched me, you have known me, you know my, ups- my upstanding, my, you know, my downrising, you understand my thoughts from afar off. If I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I go to the bottom of the sea, you're there too. He's like, God, you know everything about me. And then he ends the chapter by saying, so search me and know my heart. Know the core of my being. When you're young, you think all the problems are outside yourself. One of the advantages of age sometimes, and I'm an expert on that, uh, is that you you start to realize that I used to think that Other people were the problem. Circumstances were the problem. If the world would just change, if people would just be do this, if the government would just do that, if the church would just do this, I convinced myself that something needs to change in order for me to be okay. But the older I get, the more I realize that I'm messed up, that it's a full-time job pretty much for me to figure out what's going on inside me because what's going on inside me affects my future more than what's going on anywhere else. Because I live with myself and I have choices in life whereby, and it's one of the most amazing gifts that God gave us, you can decide today to do something that is going to affect all of your eternity. It's going to affect other people as well. And so realizing that, yeah, we're all connected and related but my problem is not you. My problem is not them. My problem is me. And I've found that it's pretty much a full-time job for me to deal with me rather than for me to tell everybody else what they need to do and then I have to cover up who I am. And so that's kind of what David is thinking about here. Again, he starts the chapter by saying, God, you already know me. But then he ends it by saying, I want to invite you to search me and to know me and to try me. And so it's not telling God he can do something that he can't do without your permission, but it's an invitation to God to say, I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to to dig into the depths of who I am. And you know it anyway, but there's something in terms of a relationship with you that I want to happen. I want, God, I want us to go there together. Again, we usually spend most of our lives denying the truth about ourselves. And then once, and some people, when they start, the truth starts leaking out, they become incredibly depressed or, you know, or, or become even more private and cut themselves off from others because, you know, you can't handle the truth. That's kind of the idea that we cope with. But as he says, search me, it's like really dig down inside. Search me, oh God, try me and know my heart. You know, it's know my heart. The heart 
I mean, it's a physical organ within your body that pumps blood, but they tended to think, I think today we think of the brain as being the center of who we are. But the brain is no more the center of who we are than the heart is. It's just, those are two important organs, but the truth is the real me is something other than just what you can extract from my brain or just what you can withdraw from my heart. But at the same time, if I realize that I am a person distinct from simply my physical identity. Now, if you don't believe that, then you probably need to study biology a little bit more because the truth is, you, you exist in a way that your body can continue to replicate itself and it's still you. I'm, I'm the same person I was. I can remember something that happened when I was a little kid, but I can't always remember what happened five minutes ago, but I'm still the same guy. How did that, how did that memory get in there? It's not all just encoded in my brain. There's a whole lot more to who I am than just what chemistry would dictate. I, one of the frustrations, as you get older, you start to forget obvious things that you should know. And I'm just like, my greatest fear is that I'll just be getting up here and going, yeah, I, I have no idea what I'm gonna say or what I'm talking about because I don't use notes. That can be really frightening. The other day we were with the staff and, and I was saying, describing a funny meme I saw and it was, I go, yeah, there's this picture and the guy from the ruler of the Ukraine and they go, Zelensky? I'm like, yeah, 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 Zelensky. And he's with the ruler of Russia. Who's the, and Jerry goes, Vladimir Putin? I go, exactly. And I'm like, why did I, I could remember Monica Lewinsky. I can't remember <laughs> Zelensky. I can't remember Putin. It's like weird. I can remember them now. I couldn't remember them then. The brain just starts to do weird things. And as a result, you can't choose what you remember, what you don't. But the one thing you realize is I'm really complicated. It's kind of amazing what I can remember and what I forget. It's amazing how I can be affected or disaffected. It's amazing how I, somebody can come up and they think they really know me and I don't know them. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Um, I show them my, my uh, scar on my head. Like, yeah, I'm not quite there yet. But you know, the core of your being, who are you really at your essence? Call it your inner, per call it your soul, your psyche. Um, that's what more was a New Testament concept of the soul. It was the immaterial part of you, your mind, your will, your emotions. So it's like, God, you know everything about me. I am inviting you to come and connect with me. It's really an invitation to fellowship. God, I want to have a relationship with you and I wanna open up to you what you already know so we can look at it together. I wanna to see it from your perspective. So God, search me and know the depth of my being, know my heart. Um, and then he says, and try me. And that, that word means to sift through and judge and adjudicate and weigh off and try me and know my anxieties. The King James says, my thoughts, but it's really anxious thoughts, my anxieties. Anxiety is a huge problem for people. And as like you see little kids, they have very little anxiety. Like little Camden, 
you know, between services, he was like, ah. And then you give him a water bottle. He can't drink the water bottle. He didn't spill some of it on himself. But, but it's like all of a sudden he's placated by a water bottle. It's that simple. Unfortunately, as you get older, you need more than a water bottle in order to, to assuade your anxiety. So much of what we do connects with what is it that makes me uptight? What is it that makes me stressed? What is it that triggers me? And we're living in a world today where more and more people are thinking that what you should do about triggering events is you should protect people from them. You need to make sure that nobody ever says anything insensitive. Nobody ever says anything that's offensive to you. No one ever gives you a shred of rejection because we think that'll fix anxiety. But the truth is, all it does is make people even more anxious about even more things. And we raise a generation of people who are completely wimpy because they've been coddled and protected. Anxiety is a real thing. Most people who will decide that, oh, I'm falling apart, one of the first things that people will take medication for is anxiety. And I'm not knocking that, okay? Please, I'm not, I have people come up and give me medical advice all the time, and I'm like, if you didn't graduate from medical school, I don't care what your opinion is about skin cancer or anything else, and no, I don't need any of your essential oils or your Amway or whatever. I'm just like, sorry, just, just I'll talk to a doctor when I want medical advice. So put that down. I'm a pastor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I know plenty of people who are psychiatrists and psychologists, and they agree that I'm not one. But, <laughs> but it's a question of, okay, the truth is I am incredibly affected by anxiety. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what is it that triggers me in a way that affects me. But one thing I do understand, for sure, is that things that you go through in life can produce anxiety later on. In psychology, they, back in the beginning of the, of the 20th century, came up with something called attachment theory that developed the notion that, you know, the way that we connect with the people in our lives who are our caregivers in the first couple years of our lives really ends up affecting a lot of who we are. And at first, psychologists poo-pooed the whole idea until they figured out there's something to it, plus they could cash in on it So then, as books were selling. And so then everybody's like, yeah. And then they extended it and going, you know what? Every relationship that you have can trigger you and affect you in a way that affects your level of anxiety later on. So, I mean, and that's like undeniable. And I think as you get older and you start having an opportunity to reflect on your life, you, uh, you know, I always thought, ah, you know, I survived. That's all that matters. But the truth is, I know that I've been damaged by being raised in a crazy family with a mother who was chronically depressed, a father who's paranoid schizophrenic, who would parade me around places and show off how I could read the Bible and then beat me up. And, and it's like, yeah, I survived. But it's like, it's kind of stupid if I think that didn't affect me because I don't treat my kids that way. I didn't raise my kids. I don't treat my grandkids that way. So the truth is, I've got to understand, there are levels of anxiety in my life that I just haven't really thought about. But the truth is, if you think that somehow, oh, you now you're an adult, you accept the Lord, now you don't have any of that. 
You're fooling yourself. We're all a mangled mess of everything that we've experienced in life. And it, chances are, eventually, now, if you can ever get over the idea that you think it's all somebody else's fault and that it doesn't have anything to do with you, looking at what you're anxious about. Why am I uptight right now? Why am I stressed? And then saying, you know, and some people will find it very helpful, and I wouldn't knock this at all, to go and talk with a therapist about it. But I would say, how about going to the one who loves you unconditionally and who already knows everything about you and going to him and saying, okay, God, you know me. I want you to sit down with me and I would like to go over my anxieties. Get down to the point of what is it that causes certain things to trigger me? What is it that makes me a certain way? What is it that's molded and shaped me that I haven't come to terms with in the past? I spend most of my life covering up whatever was damaged, whatever I've endured. I'm like, and rightfully so. I feel like patting myself on the back. It's kind of cool that I've survived as long as I have. I have done things in my life that should have killed me and they didn't. So it's like, but to think that somehow that doesn't affect me and I can just put it aside, I think a lot of times as Christians, we just act like when you become a Christian, all that's just passed. You don't have to think about it anymore. But David, you talk about the heart, the core, the suke, the soul of your being. Remember, the Bible says that David was a man after God's heart. So when you realize that he's inviting God into a journey within his heart to have a, an evaluation and a look at his anxieties, that's something that God really values and cares about. And so, you know, when we see this, and remember, we like to judge on the outside. Most of us, there are probably a few exceptions in here, but most of us, people from the outside look at us and they think we're fine. You might be wondering whether you should live or not, but you clean yourself up for church and people think you're fine. When people say, hey, how are you doing? They want one answer, fine. If you really want to get carried away, great. If people ask you, how are you doing? The last thing they want you to do is tell them how you're really doing. Because they're like, just say fine and shut up. And so God is the one. And, you know, see, remember when, when Samuel was going out to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul, and he came, God sent him to Jesse's house. Jesse had all these kids. He's looking at the big strapping older kids, and he's like, this one would be perfect. God goes, no, it's not that one. How about this one? And then God told him, he goes, you got to understand something. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's what he's wanted all along. And he saw the, the little redheaded shepherd boy who nobody ever considered he might be the next king. And he goes, you know what? That's the guy. Not because, wow, look, he looks strong. He's great, good looking. He may have been, but I see his heart and that's what matters. So if we want to experience life the way God has for us, it makes sense for us to say, okay, let's look at the heart. God Search me and know 
interact. The word know there, the word yada in the Hebrew, means to have a deep, intimate knowledge of. It's what they used as a, as a euphemism for intimate activity. Adam knew Eve and they had a kid. So it's like, I don't want to hide or hold anything back. I want you to truly know my heart. And as you know my heart, I want you to sift through my anxieties and make sense out of it. And help me come to a place where, yeah, that is falling together. That is making sense. Try me and know my anxieties. That's painful. Because most of our coping mechanisms cause us to ignore our anxieties and think they'll go away. But they don't go away. They blindside us. They destroy us in so many ways. Most of the messed up stuff about us is because of things that we're not confronting and and accepting and dealing with and processing. And so here's the guy, the man after God's heart, the one who God said, I look at your heart and that's why I like you. Humans will tend to judge you just on the outside. So you figure out pretty quick, if, if you're going to have a, have a life, if you're going to have friends, if you're going to have a mate, if you're going to have a job, if you're, whatever it is you're going to do, you better learn to stuff the inner you and just act like things are fine. Because it's true, most people just want to hear that you're fine. But at some point, that anxiety is in there and it's causing damage. It's affecting you. Sooner or later, with some people, it bursts out in just some crazy way. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're just more and more miserable and it ends up killing you. But David understood, God, I don't want to run from the truth of what's going on inside. My anxieties are great explanations of what it is that's triggering me and what it is my problems are. And if you can be honest about what makes you anxious and ask God, the one who knows you best, to help you to see, why am I so anxious here? Why has this affected me so much? Then you can begin to heal in a way that helps you for real, not just helps you patch things up and continue to survive and think, well, I know I have a lot of hurts from the past, but how much longer could I live anyway? What's the big deal now? But instead to go, it's never too late and it's never too early to enter into a relationship with God whereby you give him permission to come inside you and help you to finally be honest about the things that you've been afraid to be honest about before. So try me and know my anxieties. And then see if there is any, and in in our translation it says any wicked way in me. But the word there, it's not like wicked, like he's evil. It's a word that means hurtful. And so, and this is really important too, because if I'm being honest with myself, now I look at what it is, where is it that I'm hurt? What is it that's really hurting me. Someone says something and it hurts. So it's like, yeah, I know why it hurts, because they're a jerk. What is it that makes you care about somebody who's a jerk thinks of you? What, what is damaged that gives them credibility? I mean, and I know for me, I, I get to deal with my, more than my share of crazy people, just with the people on staff. Not to, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but it's like, It's amazing how they can say horrible things about me and it hurts me. 
I'm like, wait, I know they're not credible, but why are they able to hurt me? So as I take that inner journey, that, that psychic journey, you don't like that word, but it's, it's a Greek transliteration, but as I take that soul journey, now I'm opening myself up to, why does it hurt? Why is this damaging me so much? But here, David is talking about two different kinds of hurt. What hurts me? A lot of times I'll discover that from what makes me anxious. But how am I hurting others? That's like really important too. Because if I'm living my life in such a way that I damage other people, it points back at, why would I do that? What makes me feel you know, justified in that? And usually it's like, well, they did this to me, so I did that to them. So you really feel like it's a good idea to let other people control how you act because you think it's fair. No, we need to go to God and say, would you please show me the hurt that's in me, the hurt that I have endured and the hurt that I am acting out on myself. And that's scary. Maybe some of you in a room this size, maybe some of you have never really opened up to God and said, okay, I hurt. I want to know why. I want you to shine light on this in my life. And then once I begin to understand that, I can think, who else would go to God and say, I've been hurt by me. And how is that messing things up? How is that causing damage to me. And so it's coming clean to him and go, going, okay, God, let's take a soul journey. Let's take a journey into the immaterial part of who we really are. And you know my heart, but I want you to go there. And I want you to use my anxieties not to mess with me, not to make me worse, not to make me be in denial of my anxieties, but I want those those anxieties to point an arrow toward the hurt. Anxieties are often why I hurt. Anxieties are also why I hurt others. So if I can get to the bottom of that, wow, that can be an amazing healing process that happens, but it's scary. One reason we're scared to do this with God is that we've tried it with people. And sometimes that doesn't work so well you start to tell somebody what you really think and then they go tell somebody else or they judge you. You look at, I mean, it's like I've had people say to me, Dave, you know how when you stand on a big cliff and you just feel like jumping off? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, but like, no, I've never thought that, sorry. I've never, when I was riding my motorcycle, I've had to lie to people because you ever feel about just running it off the road? Nah, not so much. Unless there's somebody in my way who's being a jerk and maybe running them off the road. But so then if you're the person who's like, I'm gonna be open. You know what, I was just thinking about blah, blah, blah. And people look back at you. Well, guess what? God doesn't look back at you because he already knows you thought that, but he also knows why you did. But he understands that your relationship with him can be benefited and increase when you just come clean with what he already knows anyhow. God, here's where I'm stressed. Here's where I hurt. I wanna be real with you. Again, 
what's interesting is when you do this, then God can come along and comfort you. And he closes off by saying, and lead me in the way everlasting. That is, lead me in the way that I live my life caring about what lasts beyond this life. Off to the vanishing point, literally. That I want to understand that I'm on a path that goes on, that lasts forever. And so I don't want to damage people for eternity. I, you know, sometimes you, you go to, I, as a pastor, I do plenty of memorial services. And you see people kind of making up for the fact that, yeah, we had a pretty messed up relationship, but let's pretend this way. Where, and I always encourage people, you know what? Life is short. You know, live for those moments that people want to talk about after you die. That's really all, and like in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where he says, in light of the fact that we're all going to die, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that you're late, knowing your labor isn't in vain in the Lord. In other words, live your life in such a way that because you know this life expires and there's another life that goes on, how can you take what contributes, what someday after you're dead or even at your memorial service, when people are talking about you, what are the stories that they remember? What are the times that, it's why we celebrate holidays. It's why we dedicate a child. It's why, because it's like, you know what? All of a sudden that moment becomes more precious than you can ever imagine. And I told Jerry this, like, I've dedicated all my grandkids. There, there are no higher points than that. But it's like, how about living your life in such a way that it works with eternity? If I make this decision, how's it gonna affect my perspective on life once it's over? If I spend all my time arguing and debating and fighting with people, that doesn't last. In fact, if you just spend your life fighting with somebody and they die before you, you have to get up there and pretend like it wasn't that way. Or if you die before them, they have to get up there and try to pretend about you. Better to live your life in such a way that it's like, you know what, I wanna live my life more and more, not so that my life is motivated by pain one way or the other, but so that I understand that life is an amazing gift. And as a gift, I wanna receive it and live my life for eternity, for the things that matter the most. So Lord, lead me in the way, in the road that lasts forever. Help me to make decisions as if every day I'm deciding, will this matter forever or won't it? Now, there are some things you have to do in life in order for for you to have the opportunities to contribute to eternity. And for some of you that might like, for me, my job is telling people about God and, and the Bible. And so that's why a lot of people are like, you're getting old, you should probably quit doing it. And, and I get that. I, I mean, Justin keeps getting better. And I'm like, yeah, I could take off even more weeks. But at the same time, I love having, making a difference in people's lives. But you might just have a job where all you're doing is paying the bills. Well, that's of eternal value too because it gives you the life whereby you're able to create those kinds of values and relationships and everything that bless you. So a job that's really just seems like it's just a job becomes an opportunity for you to create those eternal moments. And the, sometimes the harder you work, 
the easier it is for you to create some eternal moments. And so that's, that's a good thing. I'm not knocking that. But what I'm saying is in the end, to look inside myself and to be able to say, okay, God, I want my life to matter beyond this life. So I want you to come in and really search my heart. I don't want to hide from you. I'll hide from others. I'm, I'm not like, I'll just tell anybody anything. But God, I want to hear from you. And then come into the depths of my being and sort that out. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. I'm going there with you, God. I'm going to face my anxieties and ask myself, what was it that caused something that somebody said or did a long time ago that it still controls me? What fear do I have that is still driving me forward and allow him to go through those? And again, am I hurting? I want to be honest with you, God. Am I hurting someone else? I want to be real about that because I know all of that comes because I haven't done the first part. And then ultimately to lead me toward eternity, to lead me in the, in the way that lasts forever, that more and more I live my life in such a way that I say, you know what, a thousand years after I die, I'll still be thankful for this day. I'll, and it's not like, oh, what do you, uh, you, like you have to be preaching at people all the time. You can, like uh, the, the other evening when we're, Ann and I always look at the sunset at night because we have beautiful sunsets where we live. And I'm looking at the sunset and it's amazing. And I'm looking at the SpaceX rocket cutting up through it. And I'm like, that's stinking amazing too that somebody's able to do something like that on a flat earth. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> it's like, those are moments that you go, I feel humbled. I feel blessed to be alive at the time that I am. And those moments stay with you. Now with cell phones, you can snap a picture of everything you see and look back through them. And I think that's really cool. You can also, people gripe against social media, but I, there are people that I deeply care about that I can still pray for them and know what's going on in their life because they post stuff on Facebook. And, you know, I don't, I never post anything hardly, but I pray for people as I look at it. It's like, those are moments that are eternal moments. That's when we realize, wow, this really matters. This is really important. Life is an amazing gift, but life is a gift that has an expiration date. For every one of us, we have to decide, how am I going to live my life where it has a perspective and it ultimately connects with life beyond me in a way that some of what happens will prove to be permanent. And that's the cry of David, the young king, the young shepherd boy, the young guy running for his life from the king, everything he went through, the guy that felt horrible about having had another guy killed so he could marry that guy's wife. Um, awful. God looked at him and he goes, that's a man after my heart. You know, if you think you're really righteous because you've never killed anybody or cheated on anybody or whatever, somebody who did is the one who is said to be a man after God's heart. 
because he wants to get beneath everything that's in you. And your anxieties and your pain are shouting at you. This affects you for a reason. Now, what can you learn from that? You know, I, 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 there are moments in my life where something just hits me. I remember um, going to visit a good friend of ours from church when he was kind of losing it. It was before he died and I went and visited him in the hospital. And it was just like seeing my dad in the mental hospital. He had the same look on his face. I'm talking to him. He loved golf and talking to him about golf and sports. And it was just like glazed over. And I thought, I'm glad I grew up with this because I'm fine with this. But then after I prayed with him and I left, I went out in the parking lot of the hospital and started throwing up because I realized I haven't, that doesn't go away. You don't just automatically heal from stuff. Sometimes God lovingly brings you back to a place to realize that it did affect you, that it has affected you, and that's okay, and he's there with you. And for every one of us, there are opportunities in life where we realize I can either just cover up and live my life pretending, or I can have the security of knowing that I have a God who always wants to hear from me. He already knows it, but he loves to give me insights and perspectives on what I've been through. And that's the God that David served, the man after God's heart. Um, we can always hide. We can always, you know, it's like I've said, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. He sees your heart. Now, what's cool is, like, when I am able to be honest with God, about my pain, then I'm like, I can talk about it in front of a bunch of people. And if God's okay with it, I don't really care if this offends you. I don't really care if you're like, boy, I don't know, I think Dave's losing it. It's time for him to hang it up. I don't, I don't need your approval because I've already had a good conversation with God and he's okay with me. He's okay with where I am. He looks at me and he goes, I'm glad we had that talk. Now, you may not be ready for that, sorry. I mean, I know a lot of times if I start talking about something emotional and I start tearing up, like usually men hate it and women love it because <laughs> men just don't want to go there. Men don't want to admit that they hurt just as much as women do. Women are much healthier. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why God chose men to be the leaders in church because because they need to be broken. The women are already so far ahead of us spiritually in all of these things. Women will talk to other women about stuff and not even be threatened. But for all of us, we decide, what am I going to do with the mess that I've become? What, am I going to open my heart or am I going to hide and pretend and just baloney my way through life and hope nobody notices? Or do I understand there's a God who not only knows, but he like wants to go on the journey with me so that my life can go from being where it's like, I'm doing whatever I can do to please people to where now I realize all that matters is I need to please God. One of my favorite scriptures in 2 Corinthians, I, uh, for I, um, I may make it one of the verses for life, but, but Paul says, I don't let other people judge me 
And he goes, you know what? I don't even judge myself. I'll just let God judge me. I really want to live by that. Like, you judge me, you don't get a vote. I look at myself, I'm harder on myself than anyone else is. I don't get a vote. God gets a vote. And when he looks at me and judges me, he says, I see the righteousness of Jesus Christ on you. You're good. How would our lives be different if we walked in that grace, if we walked with that awareness? We could finally clear things up and actually grow. We could actually find ourselves getting somewhere. Otherwise, we could just be bogged down in our own trip and thinking that just got to survive, just got to act like everything's fine. Like Paul Simon, I'm a rock, I'm an island. Rock feels no pain. Island never cries. Yeah, that's the way a lot of us have lived. It's not necessary. It's really, you're hiding from, from ghosts. You're hiding from a boogeyman. You're hiding from something that isn't real. Um, come clean with him, and you'll be blessed that you did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this scripture that you showed us the guy whose heart is after yours, who made himself so vulnerable to you. May we learn these lessons of grace. May we learn these lessons of honesty and integrity. May we be willing to use our anxiety as an idiot light to show us that something else is wrong, that something else needs to be worked through, that our pain is something that you want to meet us in the midst of it. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's never come to understand that full connection with you. Oh, maybe they believe in you. They have the right doctrine. They, they would say they love you, but they've never given you permission to enter the depths of their being. I pray that today they would be thinking, and this week, that they would be considering the possibility that maybe it's time to truly open myself up to God. Help them to do that, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.